You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi everybody and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that is not your history class, with me, your vivacious host, Katie Charlewood, murderino extraordinaire and reader of books. That's actually funny. Um, Because what I realised, I'm just jumping in, uh, what I realised about myself when it comes to true crime, specifically, is that I have consumed so much true crime information that I don't remember a lot of specifics until I start... I think my tummy made a rumble. I I don't remember a lot of specifics until I go back re-reading or re-watching documentaries and things like that listen to some more podcasts. The guy was listening to, I think, Tenfold More Wicked. I was like, I know this story. It's the first season of Tenfold More Wicked. Cannot tell you the name of any character in the story. That shows you, but I know it. If I were to hear it again, I'd be able to go, ah, yes, I can tell you the relationship to the characters, the characters, the relation to the people who were murdered. I could tell you everything about it. Just names. Names are just not good for me right now. Um, I'm going to blame the manual labour. So a lot of landscaping was done and there's now a driveway around my house. Yeah, so we were planting trees today, but then some of the trees, um, they had been planted in these sort of thick plastic, like rubble sacks. So when I went to actually move them, they'd actually rooted, the roots had gone through the sacks and into the ground. And there I am trying to pull a pear tree, and what do I do but hit my mother in the face with a tree? I poked her in the eye with a pear tree. Her bad eye as well. So then, but there was like more than one tree. So when it came to like the fourth tree that I had to move, I was like, um, maybe step back because I don't want to get you in the good eye. I mean, as much as I love a good pirate joke, I just, I feel like um, she'd kill me. Oh my goodness, did I mention this last week? Did I mention? I don't even remember. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I I hadn't seen my emails for like a week or so. And as it turns out, who did what now was charting in Mexico, Canada, Great Britain, and Ireland. I was like, I never chart in Ireland. I was I was very impressed. I was like just very excited because this doesn't happen, you know. And so I signed, I signed up with Chartable, this is not an ad. I say I, I connected with Chartable because I wanted to see if I was charting anywhere. Um, 
instead of me having to manually look every week because currently I'm so busy I just don't have the chance and so I could actually see a lot of the reviews that I was getting and I mean I was only in like the top 300 for like I think Canada and, and Mexico or something like that but the point of the matter is I was charting at all and that's because of you listeners who have been coming back and who have been or even new listeners from last time who went on to Apple Podcasts and rated and reviewed five stars so adorable um <laughs> shameless plug and if you say something when you do a review it, it it actually bumps you up the Apple Podcasts like funky algorithm I don't, I don't know if Google Podcasts have a rate and review system because I just finally got my RSS feed onto that like I am so grateful for everybody who's rated and reviewed and commented like you have no idea it just boosts you so much and it makes it it makes the podcast more visible for everybody else and it would be nice if I could actually get some advertisers and stuff like that because uh it's not easy <laughs> funds man funds um it's like I was charting in like four territories like I I just I can't I'm sorry I'm very this blew me away and I didn't even see it and then I hit 5,000 downloads I'm still like, I mean, I, and I just want to say thank you so much to everybody, everybody who, 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 who did it. I, I just, I do. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, it, it's amazing. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit your jibber jabber and fact me. And of course I will, but we have to get our source on. So we have womenshistory.org, ameliaearhart.com, history.com, biography.com, britannica.com, and the book, Amelia Earhart's Last Flight, by Amelia Earhart. So, let's get down to business, shall we? Amelia Earhart was born on July 24th, 1897 in Atchison, Kansas. In her grandfather's house. But it was it was the 1890s. In her grandfather's house, which was the way of the past. Her mum's family, they all had money. Her dad's, not so much. Also, Samuel Stanton Earhart, who for some reason was known as um Edwin. He was a railroad lawyer, a railway lawyer? Railroad lawyer? He was a lawyer for the railroad and the railway. And, and one of those things. So, <laughs> yeah, so he was a railway lawyer and Amelia's family were, you know, Amelia's mum, Amelia, that's right, her family were uh, rich. So Amelia Earhart's maternal grandfather was, was a former federal judge and president of the savings bank in Atchison. Like, of course he has money. Anyway... Amelia and her young and her younger sister Grace, they're mainly seen as tomboys with Amelia being the ringleader because she is the bigger sister, that's just how it works. And the two girls end up staying with their grandparents after their dad gets a job in Des Moines in Iowa. So they stay in Kansas, they get homeschooled, get a governess, the whole shebang. A couple years later, when they're finally reunited with, you know, everybody in Des Moines, it comes really clear really quickly that uh, Edwin is an alcoholic. To the point where he drains the family of their finances. He is forced to retire from his job. And he, like he does attempt to like 
sort himself out, but unfortunately he, he never gets that particular job back. And then, like around about the same time this happens, Amelia's grandparents die. And some money is left in trust um, for a couple years for the girls. But things like their house and stuff, they all get auctioned off because they've got no fucking money. They're fucked. So Edwin, he's jumping from pillar to post, going around the railway, trying to get jobs as a clerk. So the girls end up moving and they obviously they're going where their dad goes. So they go, so they have a sort of transient school life. And Amelia finally completes high school in Chicago. And the weird thing for the time is Amelia got to choose her own school. Like there was a school that was closer, but she didn't want to go to it because the science lab looked like a kitchen sink. And so she went to a school that was further away because it had better science. Basically, the, the trust from the grandparents comes in and Amelia manages to go to the, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, the Ogont School in Pennsylvania, which is like a junior college. Um, but she doesn't complete the program because during a Christmas vacation in 1917, so during World War I, and she goes to visit her sister in Toronto, in Canada, Amelia is inspired to care for soldiers who were wounded in the war. And in 1918, she leaves junior college to become a nurse's aide in Toronto. She gets trained by the Red Cross and she's working in this um, voluntary aid detachment in a military hospital. And then, because what happens in 1918? The Spanish fucking flu! What? A pandemic, you say? Yes, yes, absolutely. Unfortunately for Amelia, and while she's working night shifts at the Spadina Military Hospital, she ends up becoming a patient because she gets pneumonia and maxillary sinusitis. So she gets hospitalized in November of 1918 because of the pneumonia and she finally gets discharged in December. But in this sinusitis, the problem is this is an era before antibiotics. This is pre-antibiotics. So she had to have these operations which were pretty bloody painful where they have to sort of wash out maxillary sinus so up up your sinuses up your nose and these none of these were actually successful so basically she had pain and pressure around one eye and i'm sorry if you're eating don't listen to the next 10 seconds she had a fuck ton of mucus drainage through her nostrils and her throat because these procedures were um bullshit she ended up suffering from like horrific headaches and pains for nearly a year and at this point her sister lived in Northampton in Massachusetts and so she ends up moving in with her sister while she rests and you know hopefully gets back on track. Here's the thing, her sinusitis affects her for the rest of her life to the point there sometimes she would wear this bandage on her cheek so that she could hide a drainage tube. The sinusitis itself would affect her in the air later on. After she's rested up and she's healed, Amelia enters the pre-med program at Columbia University in New York. But her parents want her to live with them in California, so so she just leaves in 1920. And it was in California that she went on her first airplane ride. And she loved it so much that she ended up taking flying lessons. So she gets flying lessons and she learns to fly. And a year later, she buys her first plane, a Kenner Airster. And another two years after that, she gets her pilot's license. And you're thinking, is she up in the air? Is she going to do her cool stuff yet? 
Nope. In the middle of the roaring 20s, what does Amelia Earhart do? She moves back to Massachusetts and becomes a social worker. And she works at a place called Denison House, which is like this settlement home for immigrants in Boston. But she's still, you know, keeping her eye on the whole aviation thing. And like, probably in the latter half of the 20s, all these promoters are looking for a woman to fly across the Atlantic Ocean because, you know, because let's face it, it's going to look cool. You know what I mean? It's going to be, what? A woman did a thing? So Earhart gets picked for the job, really, in April 1928. And some people think it's because she looked a bit like Charles Lindbergh, who was like the first dude to fly nonstop across the Atlantic solo like a year before. And on June 17th, 1928, Amelia Earhart departs Newfoundland, Canada, as a passenger, mind you, on a seaplane that is being piloted by Wilmer Stoltz and Louis Gordon. Lewis Gordon? And when they land in Burryport in Wales on June 18th, Amelia Earhart becomes an international celebrity. She does what every smart woman in the 1920s does. She writes a fucking book called 20 Hours, 40 Minutes. And she goes on a lecture tour across the US. George Palmer Putnam, he is not only the publisher of the book, but he runs the publicity circuit and also is the one who organised this historical flight. And surprise, surprise, three years later, they get married. But Amelia, when it comes to her career, she keeps her maiden name. Because, yeah, she did. So she breaks a couple records. So she decides she's going to break a record. So Amelia decides she's going to cross the Atlantic for a second time. Except this time, she's going to do it alone. So May 20th, 1932, she jumps aboard her Lockhead Vega. So she leaves Harbour Grace in Newfoundland in Canada. And she lands, and she lands in Derry in Northern Ireland. I'm fairly certain it was on a golf course. And so this is actually a record. She does this in... 14 hours and 56 minutes, even though there's like a bunch of problems. Because like, she was supposed to land in Paris, but she landed in Ireland. Yeah, so like a bunch of stuff went wrong. Mechanical difficulties, there was weather, because of course there was. It's uh, May 21st, I think, when she lands. And so after this, what does she do? She writes another fucking book. Of course she does, called The Fun of It in 1932. So she's doing her thing, she's flying across the US and um, piloting here, piloting there. But also, Amelia Earhart, um, not one for gender roles, to be honest. So she was like, breakfast roles, not gender roles. Uh, So what she was doing was encouraging women being liberated and going into, and to go after opportunities and professions, especially those that were male-dominated, and especially in aviation. Oh my god, just yeah, back in 29, she is part of this organisation of female pilots, which becomes known as the 99s, and she is the first president of it. Also, in addition, furthermore, she brings out a clothing line in the 30s, which is uh, a functional clothing line designed for, and I quote, The woman who lives actively. Amelia Earhart was a feminist. So, we're up in it. So here we are, 1935. Amelia Earhart makes history. She does the first solo flight from Hawaii to California, which is actually a longer route than, you know, America to Europe. 
It's like nearly two and a half thousand miles long. She flies from Honolulu on the 11th of January and lands in Auckland the next day. I think it took her what, like 17 hours and seven minutes in total? And then, and then near the end of the year, she is the first person to fly solo from LA to Mexico City. First person, not first woman, first person. Amelia Earhart at this point is breaking all of these barriers. So in 1936, Amelia Earhart, she decides she's going to seal her name in the record books because she is going to fly around the world, which is like a 29,000 mile journey. The first attempt doesn't go well. The second attempt in 1937 also doesn't go well. So the plan is to circle around the globe and she's going to like zigzag along the equator which basically means she's going to have these long hauls over water. The journey in total is going to be about 29,000 miles and it should take about 40 days. So it starts in California and then it's going to stop in like San Juan, Calcutta, Bangkok, New Guinea. So Amelia Earhart and her navigator Frank Noonan, they're going to go in this twin-engine Lockheed 10 Electra, which is a 10-passenger plane, but it's been like... I don't want to say retrofitted. Retrofitted seems like the wrong word. So they basically pulled a pimp my ride and filled it with these special tanks that would carry over what, like a thousand pounds of fuel. You know, instead of the usual two hundred, because of these larger stretches where she's going to be over water and she's not going to get a chance to refuel. So on May twenty first, Earhart and Noonan they get up and get off and fly from Oakland in California. So yeah, they're leaving from Miami and they're heading never eat shredded wheat east. And so over the next few weeks, they're making all these like different refueling stops and they reach Lane, New Guinea. And on July 2nd, they are, what, 42 days into the journey? So they're two days over at this point anyway than their estimated flight time. Yeah, they traveled 22,000 miles, which is what, 35,000 kilometers? So when they leave New Guinea, they're heading towards Howland Island. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts which is two and a half thousand miles away, a bit more maybe. But this wee island, it's really, really 
difficult to locate. And because the navigation is so funky, there are two US ships are stationed to mark the route. And these ships are like really, really brightly lit to just sort of help guide the way. And this flight should take about 18 hours in total. There's a US Coast Guard cutter which is actually near Howland and um, called the Itasca. And there was a radio operator called Harry Balfour who would send transmissions every hour. And he, knows, and he notices that after she departs, the headwinds are really strong. You know, and obviously he's like sending her transmissions, being like, hey, it's fucking windy. You know what I mean? But she doesn't seem to get the messages. And the thing about these headwinds are they just screw up the whole scenario because they mess with speed, they mess with the, the sort of the fuel consumption, and basically they bollocks up the length of the flight. And in the afternoon, in a bunch of Amelia Earhart's transmissions, which were like blocked, for some reason, were finally received by Balfour and Lake. You know, when she's giving her like altitude or speed or status. Speed, 140 knots. Altitude, 7,000 feet. Status, okay. And then over an hour later, her next transmission that the plane has climbed to 10,000 feet, which is really weird because it just burns fuel. So like the idea is that maybe the, like there was clouds or she was coming up to a mountain or something or there was a mountain in view. And you have to remember as well, these transmissions are like delayed. So by the time the plane is getting near Howland Island, the plane was down to like 90 something gallons of fuel. Oh yeah, so the Itasca. So it's just off the coast of Howland Island and they could hear Amelia Earhart transmissions. So she had to be fairly close to the island. And one of her last transmissions was, we must be on you but cannot see you. And um, <clears throat> the more worrying one, gas is running low. And her last transmission says we are running north and south and that she was sounding panicked and frantic because of course you are if you've got low visibility and you're in a dangerous area. So basically, but um, Amelia Earhart's plane doesn't arrive in Howland Island. On July 2nd, 1937, famed aviator Amelia Earhart disappears, along with her navigator, Fred Noonan. You know, the task is out, it's uh, searching the waters. Like, was it nearly a week later, a battleship called the Colorado comes and starts searching the waters, like, on the other side of the island? And then an aircraft carrier called the Lexington arrives and it starts searching the waters around the area. So before we get to what happened, we're going to debunk a couple of theories. So the first theory is that they, the plane basically crashed around Howland Island. Firstly, weirdly she should have lasted a couple more hours, like fuel-wise. Like she should have had another four hours before transmission stopped. The second thing is... All these ships are looking for, the waters surrounding Howland Island are 18,000 feet deep. And for 15 years, from 2002 to 2017, this company called Nautico teams up with like a bunch of other people. It uses all this like sonar shit to try and scan the ground where they think the plane went down. But they found zero evidence of anything there. Niet nada. Then there's the capture by the Japanese Empire which is like based on this photo but you know people always talk about the Amelia Earhart photo unfortunately that photo actually was taken several years before Amelia Earhart went missing so that's a no. Another theory is that 
she is, like, she was, like, a spy for President Roosevelt, who ended up secretly living the end of her days in New Jersey. It's probably the most unbelievable thing. I mean, who's to say? Maybe she really liked skee-ball. And um, some people who have uh, little to no imagination decided that she just went, fuck this for a game of soldiers, and flew her plane directly into the Pacific Ocean. Because, sure, why not? So now let's get to the interesting part. 15-year-old Betty Clank is listening to her shortwave radio in St. Petersburg, Florida. Being a 15-year-old girl in the 30s, teenagers weren't invented yet. She was probably still either a child or woman at that point, I don't know. So she would be sitting on the floor with a wee notebook and she'd write down the words to her favourite songs to learn them. Listen, that's what we used to do before we had A to Z lyrics, I'm just saying. Anyhow, because, you know, they had the radio, her dad had put up this big antenna in the back garden so that she could pick up radio stations from all over. So she's, you know, moving the dial across, you know, looking for some funky tunes. And as she's turning the dial, she hears a woman's voice and she sounds upset. So, you know, is this a radio drama? Is it something interesting for her? And then she hears the words, this is Amelia Earhart. So at this point, Amelia Earhart is one of the most famous people in the world. And Betty knows all about her because she's a 15-year-old girl in the 30s. So she just starts scribbling down in her notebook whatever she can hear. But the signal is like fading in and out and like sometimes stops and other bits it's like really distorted and she just writes down whatever she hears absolutely everything she wasn't sure about what word was being said but so she wrote down what she thought it was which is you know probably the best option to be honest so she hears amelia but she also hears like a dude in the background and as far as she could figure that is that the guy had sustained a head injury and was like concussed or delirious or something and that they had crashed so what betty could surmise from this they'd managed to get to land and there was an issue with rising water and so basically the transmissions are continuing for like three hours so mr clank he reports all this information to the coast guard and they're like uh no and like i don't know if they like just weren't taking it seriously or whether they genuinely thought that like Of course this little girl didn't pick up transmissions if we didn't pick up the transmissions. Because they were getting reports about her, like, all across the world. They get informed that the government has ships in the area and that everything's under control. And they even sent a letter to Fred Gurner, but the only only response she ever got was a not interested one. And here's the thing, she kept her notebook at least until the age of 78, as far as I know. So let's skip forward to 1940. And partial remains are found on what was then called Gardner Island, which is now Nikumaroro in the Republic of Kiribati. I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly to everyone listening. British Colonel Officer Gerald Gallagher finds the remains of a campsite, a partial human skeleton, the box of the sextant that Amelia was using, and a bunch of other bones. Also... I can't remember if it was a pocket watch or a pocket knife, but it was one of those things with the initial AE on it. And a broken jar of freckle cream. I don't know what Pacific Islander needs freckle cream, but okay. And Gerald, Gerald's a smart man. Gerald thinks, hey, do we think this might be something to do with Amelia Earhart? Um, Because she was around about this area and all of this seems very fitting. What else about the island is it's also full of coconut crabs? I don't trust coconut crabs. 
like I have now decided, sidebar, I have decided that people who are willfully ignorant are basically just three coconut crabs in a trench coat. So Gallagher, he gets ordered to, you know, bring the remains back. So he brings them back and this physician, D.W. Hidless, um, was working in a medical school in Fiji. He looks at the bones and he's like, nah, nah, these are a short man's bones. Yep, absolutely. I think he only really bases it off of, like, the femur or something. And um, then he's like, eh, whatever, it doesn't matter, not her. So he chucks them away. Modern anthropologists took these measurements and they uh, and they very much match up with the height of Amelia Earhart. Because the bones, the one thing they could agree on was that the skeleton was of European descent. So, yeah, a white woman who was known to be in the area. In 1937... A British expedition went to Nikumaruru. I can't say that right. Basically shows this weird thing sticking out of the water. And they think it's landing gear, but they can't be sure. Because, you know, the photos from the late 30s. Later expeditions to the island found rubber-soled shoes. One of a man's size and one of a woman's size. Which, when bodies disintegrate, the first thing we lose is a foot. So I can kind of see why Noonan's stuff ended up on the shore. Later expeditions again found pieces of the windshield, eroded metal, which is not dissimilar to the plane that Amelia was flying that day. But a lot of that stuff's been lost to the sands of time and we'll never get to double check it. So putting all the evidence together, this is the most likely scenario of what happened. Niku Mororo, it is like... 350 miles south of Howland Island, um, which is along the line that Earhart last reported flying on. And, you know, as you know, she's run out of fuel, if she sees the island and the tide is low, she could have tried to use it as an emergency landing strip, but the island is a peculiar shape. So the plane crashes, Noonan is definitely stuck in the plane somehow, but Amelia manages to get out. Whatever happens, they're trying to get they're trying to send transmissions, but the tide is coming in and there's not a lot they can do. Noonan sustains some kind of head injury and he is trapped in the plane. They manage to get the landing gear down enough that they can charge the battery to send transmissions. Eventually, Earhart has to leave the plane and the critically injured Noonan behind. She makes a campsite on the southeast of the island, waiting to be rescued, but it's a saltwater island. You know, you've got rain walls and stuff like that, but... So there's signs that, you know, that small birds and fish were eaten. They think she was there for a couple of days, but she probably would have died of either exposure or dehydration. And then, to add insult to injury, she was partially eaten by coconut crabs. And those things are fucking terrifying, by the way. So a week later, when the Navy planes are flying overhead, they see the campsite, but... They assumed that the island was inhabited, but this island hadn't been inhabited since 1892. So they flew over and there was very much a possibility that she was still alive and they didn't save her. Oh, and Amelia Earhart is then declared legally dead in absentia in like 1941, 1942, I think. And so ends the tale of Amelia Earhart. So what did we learn today? We learned that pioneering women usually get left to the elements. A lot of so-called mysteries that surround the world, and they like their heart stories, one of the ones they like to use to fuel that whole 
Bermuda Triangle concept as well. We learned that more has been written about Amelia Earhart's disappearance than has been written about her life. Because the mystery of her disappearance is always portrayed as far more interesting than the life she led. This pioneer for women, this advocator of women's rights and opportunities. And she was left to rot on an island. So if you like today's story, Jesus, if you like the way the story was told, uh, please feel free to go onto Apple Podcasts or Google or whatever, whatever you listen to and, and rate and review five stars and say something, say something nice. Say your following instructions. Give me your opinions on pajamas, yay or nay. <laughs> okay, recommendations, recommendations. Okay, so we're going to get recommendations. So I started reading The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. I'm only a couple chapters in, but it's feeling good so far. Listening, I have been, I am, so I've been listening to My Favourite Murder this week. I've been catching up. I tend to sort of binge a couple episodes in a row at the minute. Um, Because I usually listen to them when I'm cleaning and doing stuff at home in the house. And then I listen to like Crime and Sports when I'm chilling out. (laughs) Because I'm exciting like that. And watching. I just watched The Flight Attendant and... Kaylee Coco is fantastic. I am here for it. I want a second season. I want to see her do more stuff. Cause, oh, it's so good. It's so good. So that is, that is this week. That is this week's tale of Amelia Earhart, who fucking deserved better. And I shall bid you all good day. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, zen, my friends. Bye-bye. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.